To the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 94. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are covering chapter 72 through interlude 14 of Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. Next time, we'll be covering chapters 76 through 80. Would you like to tell them about our spoiler policy? Yes, I would. Our spoiler policy is this. Chad has not read these books yet. I have, but we like his predictions, so we will not be spoiling anything on this podcast past interlude 14 of the Words of Radiance. That goes for everything in the Cosmere, pretty much. That's a fact, Jack. It's a fact that we might be touching on some greater Cosmere type story behind the story things, but only as much as Chad has already picked up on because we love watching him figure this shit out. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. That is all the spoiler policy you're going to get. You've been warned. We dropped a bleep word in the first two minutes of the episode. We bleep nothing out. Just saying. It's going to be a night. All right. Would you like to get this thing started? Get it started. Uh, So what did you think? I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it overall. It was a good section, some interesting stuff, a lot to chew on. I probably took more notes for this episode than, I don't want to say any other episode, but definitely more than most. I know at one point this week, you read something that made you go, damn. Yeah. I feel like there was a damn moment in here. Yeah. I heard it. (laughs) (laughs) well let's get into the chapters chapter 72 is called selfish reasons thankfully we pick up where we left off with kaladin and shallan trapped in a crevasse shallan has just summoned her shard blade shard blade and kaladin is all like what shallan wants kaladin to use the blade to kill the giant fucking monster that's trying to eat them, but Kaladin is unsure. This isn't the first time he's been offered a shard blade, but this time is different. The blade doesn't scream in his mind. There's an awesome Brandon Sanderson fight, and Kaladin manages to kill the Chasm Fiend. Unfortunately, he is badly wounded, and the high storm is coming fast. Shallan manages to climb up high enough to carve a cubby for them to hide in. Kaladin has almost made it to safety as well when the storm wall hits. So literally Bam. a cliffhanger. It's a literal He's cliffhanger. Hanging off a cliff. It's kind of a cliff starter. Kind of, yeah. At least a crevice starter and a cliffhanger. Now, we said in the beginning we like my predictions because they're often wrong. And we start this one out with a prediction from last episode where I said there's no way Kaladin's just gonna step out into the chasm and kill a chasm fiend. There's no way that's going to happen. Now, he did have some help. He did. He did have some help, and he he would definitely not have survived without some magical intervention Mm -hmm. from his girlfriend. Yeah. She's not his girlfriend. His gal pal. My special lady friend. (laughs) My special lady friend. (laughs) She kind of is his special lady friend. I mean, she is a special lady and a friend. 
Yes. We'll go with that. For now. So I, I just, I liked Kaladin's reaction to the shard blade. And he's like, how? What? And she's like, does it matter? Uh, it's not important. And he's like, I rather think it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it's kind of an important thing. <laughs> right. She's like, I'm holding a device in a very cramped area that if it touches you, will sever your soul from your body. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just take Just it. can take it, man. <laughs> So, and it's interesting because we see him going back and forth about whether or not Shallan is a surge binder. And when she pulls out this shard blade, he thinks, well, I guess that means she's not a surge binder because otherwise she would hate this shard blade. Because I do. Because I do. And to be fair, he is 100% of the sample size (laughs) of surge binders to to his, his knowledge. That's true. Yeah. I mean... It doesn't get more representative than that. <laughs> so then he goes out and has this has this fight See, with this, this is giant a lecture monster. In the danger of sample sizes. There you go. Right. <laughs> Need larger than one. <laughs> science for you for the day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's your science, everybody. So Kalanen goes out and fights this giant lobster monster, which you know sounds pretty terrifying. I absolutely love that he kills it by being partially eaten by it. It was kind of his That's own. one of my best, most favorite heroic battle deaths is when someone willingly dives into the maw of a monster <laughs> in order to kill it from inside. It, it does not get more badass than that. Kaladin, Hellboy. I mean. Drax. Drax, yeah. It's Good pretty stuff. awesome. Yeah. So at this point, she's like, we have to go out there. I have to get my satchel. <laughs> Look. It's my industrial size hair dryer and I can't live without it. <laughs> Listen, I've got a bag and it's got all my favorite stuff in it. I'm not going out there without my satchel. <laughs> and I'm like, bitch, let that shit go. You can make other drawings. Take the shard blade and cut your way the other direction. You have a goddamn shard blade in your hand. You can do whatever you want. But But then I realized, as a part of chapter 73, which we'll get into next time, I ended up rereading chunks of Shallan's backstory. Mm -hmm. And I reread chapter 10, Mm -hmm. which is the first flashback. And in that first flashback, when she is in a catatonic, not catatonic, she's in a mute state. Uh, due to her traumatic situation that she's right. attempting to overcome, Hilarion gives her that satchel the last time she sees him. That's true. That's a very good point. I also think it's true that Shallan cannot work her illusions without drawing them first, and yeah. she needs to draw them recently. So I I saw her motivation as being, I need to be able to draw so the illusion of her running away and the illusion of Kaladin that distracted the monster, she had just drawn those. Yeah, at the same point in time, she wouldn't have needed them if they'd have just cut a path the other direction. I'm not sure that they could have done that. I, I don't know that either. Certainly, they couldn't have just cut their way from inside a crevice up to safety when the high storm hit. So... There's no way that they also, so a couple of times, it's interesting, and I think that Brandon Sanderson deliberately lays this groundwork. 
he talks about how difficult it is to cut stone with a shard blade. Not that it doesn't cut through the stone easily, but that then you can't get what you've cut out yeah, yeah, exactly. of the stone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think about when Dalinar... Right. When Dalinar was digging the trench, the latrine trench, he would cut the stone, but then it would just stay wedged in where he had cut it. You have to break it up with a hammer and haul it out. That's the science of latrine cutting. It's so much science on this episode. Very science-heavy episode. <laughs> so sciencey, You know, but then when Shallan is cutting out the cubby hole later, we see her, again, having to, like, chip off little pieces dismiss the shard blade pull like there's no way she was going to do that with a chasm fiend sticking its legs into the crevasse trying to get them so for me sorry hey you started this (laughs) (laughs) her going to get the satchel and when she said i need that satchel i need it too and then she was about to say you know what you know she needs it to practice her surge binding, but then she obviously doesn't say that. She has several innovative fonts in there that <laughs> San Francisco's just going to love. <laughs> so, no, I don't think that she risked Kaladin's life for, you know, the sentimentality of having the satchel, though. I'm sure she's attached to it. But Well, well there's, a, there's a third thing that's important in mm-hmm. there, which is what she's drawn about the chasms while they've been there right. as well. Obviously, that is important too. But I still think she probably would have let that go if it wasn't for she wanted to be of use in the battle and she needed to be able to draw. Well, she certainly, it was fresh enough in her mind she probably would have been able to recreate most of what she'd seen in the chasms. Right. Chaz giving me the move it along. <laughs> You can't tell the people we use hand signals to manage the podcast. I do when it's funny. I mean, usually I'm giving you the moving along. Listen, in the background, the 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 sort of meta analysis of the podcast is we use semaphore to communicate across the studio. It's very handy. I mean, we use it all the time. Crowded parties. We're talking about you in our hand language. Yeah, it's nice to be able to sign. So. Okay, anyway, so let's talk about Shallan's shard blade, okay, because... I have strong opinions. And, and what the, it's kind of spread over two chapters, but we get a little more information about it. She seems to be able to will the shard blade to stay for Kaladin pretty easily. And I seem to remember Adolin saying something about that not being the easiest thing, that taking mental control and practice. Well, it's, so, it seems like... We know that she's had it for a while. Correct. So, and it seems as though the bond grows with time. However, Aelin's had his for years and struggles to do some of the... And he uses it all the time. Correct. Shallan has pulled it out twice that we know of. I mean, not very often, we'll just say. So that's interesting. And uh, we also have uh, Kaladin does not react to it in the same way that he did other shard blades. No. And that's interesting in a couple of ways because when it brushes up against him and he recognizes that there's no, you know, haunting horror movie scream, Mm -hmm. he thinks, oh God, that's a bad sign. Sill's clearly dead. However, it's after that that he hears weeping. Yes. Which we take to be Sill. 
Yeah. It seems like that's what's going on. So it seems like this is a very different type of shard blade. It also, he also mentions that it glows with a strange pattern. It, and he that he's never seen a shard blade do that before. Additionally, in chapter 74, Shallan's able to will it to different sizes. Now that is a big thing. That's a big reveal. Because certainly we've never seen a shard blade change sizes based on... Whatever she needs. I, I mean, that's not even been remotely mentioned as being possible. No, it seems like the... The thing that would cement your suspicions, if you had suspicions that this wasn't a nor normal shard blade, would be the gemstone in the pommel. But they never give us that, whether it exists or not. Mm -hmm. So we simply don't know. Now, that's not a situation where Brandon Sanderson's just leaving a detail out. Neither Shallan nor Kaladin know that that's a defining characteristic of, quote, modern shard blades. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've had that information revealed to us through Navani, but neither of them know enough about the other shard blades in the world. So they wouldn't have observed that or looked for it. So it's not, this isn't poor writing that we don't know this detail. It's logical that they would not tell us this detail in their perspective. Correct. And it just, it's revealing that at least that we know, we can figure out that Shallan's shard blade is different from others. Well, it's definitely not a normal shard blade. About that, we're pretty clear. One other thing I loved about the fight was Kaladin seeing this phantom vision of himself standing over himself and going, whoa, how did I do that? How did I do that, right? <laughs> so, so not only is it, whoa. He is Bill of Bill and Ted, I'm sorry. Right? He, he really is. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> So not only does he see himself think that he did it, despite the fact that he can't draw Stormlight, but he also never brings it up again. Now, I'm kind of willing to forgive that at this point, because if he thinks he did it, he's still in that I'm a, you know, magical being and I can't tell a light-eyed person they'll take it from right. me mentality. Right. But later when he becomes it becomes more clear to him that she is definitely a surge binder, he doesn't put two and two together. To be fair, we don't really get a, a lot of time in his head after that. Mhm. Mm so whether the wheels are turning and he's Putting two and two together, we we don't know. It's we'll, we'll get into that a little bit in chapter seventy four. I think there's a line or two where he talks about that. All right, but yeah, at this point, we just have the fight, then uh, the plan for Shallan to climb up the chasm fiend, get above the waterline, carve out a cubby hole, and then somehow drag Kaladin up after her. Yeah, and what you know what I think is cool is a couple of chapters ago we had the this sort of foray out and the scouts were introduced mm -hmm. and it, it mentions how they do this. Sometimes they have these cubby holes carved into the cliff. So it's just, it's nice that that was introduced a couple of chapters back. So it's not like, Oh, well we just came up with this amazing new plan. And yeah. why hasn't anyone ever thought of this before? You know, I just like that groundwork being laid. It's kind of like Brandon Sanderson knew what he was doing. Almost like he knows what he's doing. I'm always just so amazed at 
stories of people who meet him at signings and how he doesn't just sign or like say, hey, how you doing? Whatever. Like people come up to him with questions, very detailed questions about the Cosmere and how does this relate to that? And like, what if this kind of magic user from this world, you know, had a baby with a, this kind of magic user from another world and what would happen? And he's like, he just knows it. Yeah. He, I'm like, he's he's got this. I mean, I know he created the universe and stuff, but still, that's a lot of different balls to keep going in your head. A lot uh, of strands in the old duder's head. <laughs> strands in Brandor's head. A lot of strands. It's impressive. That's all I'm saying. So, and I also love Shallan being Roshar and Steve Irwin. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful. Be- <laughs> it's a beautiful creature. Come here, Sheila. <laughs> no, no Australian listeners are allowed to make fun of our I don't do terrible, it. terrible accents. <laughs> we never claim to be good at that. <laughs> Boy, she's a beaut. <laughs> I think that's all I had for this chapter, too. Oh, one last thing. I, I just love the this cliffhanger, and I love the scene, just, just the scene of the water rising as Kaladin is climbing. I don't know. I, I love the tension there. I thought that was really well done. I, for, for me, this is when the book, I, this is just one of the better chapters, I thought. That's it. Fangirl moment. I'm good. Okay, so chapter 73 is called A Thousand Scurrying Creatures. It's called Murder Lullaby. Murder Lullaby. I think this is the chapter where you went, damn. Damn. (laughs) This is the chapter where I went, damn. In a flashback, Shallan and Balat continue their plan for his escape. Unfortunately, their father catches wind of the plan and forces a confrontation. He kills Shallan's stepmother, cripples Balat, and is about to murder Aelita. But he collapses before he gets to. The poison that Shallan had given him moments before, rendering him helpless. It is not enough to kill him, so Shallan is forced to strangle him with the necklace he gave her as a child, singing him their special lullaby as she does so. This is the single most metal chapter. (laughs) It's pretty pretty metal so metal i mean you get why shallan sees a hideous lobster monster and is like eh, it's kind of cute she is a twisted twisted sister yes so we start this chapter with shallan and balat in his room and this is they've jumped forward a little bit at this point uh Hilarin has kind of fallen off the map nobody knows where he is and at this point, her father has gained this soul caster. They don't know about it, but they know that their house is suddenly wealthy, but that their turn in fortune doesn't seem to be helping their father at all. In fact, if anything, he is getting darker. He's getting more dangerous. Balat is ready to get out. And he's such an interesting character because he's sympathetic, but he's also not at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you do feel sorry for him, but at the same time, he says things like, I'm the oldest now and I need to start acting like it and get away and leave you all here. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I wrote down. Time to show that I'm the oldest. What will you do? Why, I'll run, of course. (laughs) See ya, suckers. (laughs) Yeah, right. I think I'll abandon you to the psycho. Exactly. I'm the oldest. It means I can run the fastest. (laughs) 
Why, I think I'll steal your shoes and run away. <laughs> so they they have this conversation and then they uh, find out that Ailita, who is Balat's betrothed and they are planning to elope, has been summoned to the house. So the jig and is up. that's when I knew shit was going to go down. It was going to go down. It was like the tree across the road in... Yep. In King Killer, in Name yep. of the Wind, where I was like, "Oh, yep. that's that's your sign." Yep, <laughs> things things are not going to get better. Yep. Shalon, you can tell, knows this as well, and she says she is she had known this was coming. They had tried to hide. Of course, that wouldn't work. It hadn't worked with Mother either. It's funny we're lockstep in what we're writing down for quotes. Cool. Right now, yeah. Distance high five. I wrote down the same quote, and my question was, when she said it hadn't worked for Mother either, was that because her mother was also trying to flee Lynn, and he had caught her, and so it didn't work for her mother? Right. Or was it because her mother was insane, and Shalon had to defend herself from her mother, and so it hadn't worked with her mother when her mother was also like this? Which causes you to think, what happened for her to have two psycho parents, if that's the case? Mm -hmm. Another thing is that we know that Shalon says it's her fault that her mother died. Mm -hmm. Or thinks that she killed her mother, says Mm -hmm. that she killed her mother. We know that her stepmom says that it's her fault and she killed Mm -hmm. her. And Lynn feels that way as well. Everybody else in the family seems to think it was her father who killed Mm -hmm. her wife. I think we all know that Shalon killed her mother. The mystery here is why? Mm-hmm. And was it on purpose? Mm-hmm. And what's that freaking box? And where did she get this crazy wicked shard blade? Mm-hmm. So we've answered some of the mysteries in this chapter, but there's still a lot of still a lot of stuff hanging out there. Yep. So I thought it was interesting how Shalon reacted in this moment of crisis. And again, we see her just have this coldness and calm come over her and step up and take charge of the family in this really intense situation. She says this about herself, coldness. She recognized that coldness inside of her now. She'd felt it before on the day when she'd lost her mother. And that's right when she goes up and she has just poisoned her father and then I just wrote at the bottom of my page, holy crap, the murder. And then I drew a face that looked like this. <laughs> Are you going to put that face on the podcast or on the blog? <laughs> Maybe. So the other thing is that I did not catch this the first time through. I don't know if I didn't read, if I was skimming and didn't read the line correctly, mm-hmm. but she finds Melise, her stepmom, mm-hmm. and she is dead and she says the lie has become truth Mm -hmm. and i'm like what the hell does that mean and then i'm like oh the lie that her father killed his wife Mm -hmm. has now finally become true Mm. what does that mean what other lies are there that become truth Mm -hmm. like is is that what this is trying to say is that the lies 
I mean, is it just a clever callback or does it mean more thematically? No, that's a good, you were spot on in your interpretation. Yeah. We'll have to. Was I not supposed to say that? No, no. Oh, no, no. That's fine. We'll have to find out what other lies she's been telling and and see what that means. Okay. No, I I think she she seems to be referring to the the death of the stepmother. The fact she said, I think she says he killed her. It had come to this. The lie has become the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So Shalon is a straight up stone cold killer. Yeah. Now, I completely forgot about the black bean. Right. Totally forgot about it. So when she's like, I have to go get my pouch, I'm like, oh, this bitch just loves her. (laughs) Her sacks. Some sacks. Like, (laughs) give her a bag, happy as can be. (laughs) She don't need no pockets. (laughs) Bitches love purses. I ain't doing nothing without a good bag. (laughs) You won't catch me on a Sunday without a good bag. (laughs) Completely forgot about that. My prediction that she had accidentally killed her father from like the fourth episode of this series. Mm -hmm. Clearly wrong. That was pretty deliberate. She killed him twice. She did. (laughs) She's like, oh, poisoning him with this deadly poison clearly wasn't good enough. I'm going to kill him with my own bare hands and sing this cold-ass song in the process. Right. Right, the singing What's the, the song. deal with the... Oh, my the, gosh. Like, do you think you're comforting him? Like... I mean, I think she's a, what, a 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl. She's about 15 here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Strangling her father to death. I think she just was singing it. She broke the fuck down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the... The very end of the chapter, like the last couple of paragraphs of the chapter, are almost identically, almost word for word, the same ending as the end of chapter 10. Hmm, good catch. Except that, you know, some of the pronouns are different because she's Mm -hmm. singing to her father instead of her father singing to her. Mm -hmm. But you compare those texts side by side, they're like 80% identical. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of puts you causes you to think that she was in you know a similar headspace and that's got to be a hard terrible thing to have to go through now i think the question is you know does this make her a murderer or is this self-defense like well it certainly seems likely that while maybe lynn would not have killed her he certainly was about to kill balat and Ilita. I, I think that's absolutely true. And what I think is interesting is my sort of reaction to it. Because, like, when she hands him the poison and we realize it's poison, and we're like, okay, she poisoned her father, given what you just said, that he is on this murderous rampage, I'm like, totally justified. And yet, when he starts coming back around and she's like, oh shit, let me go make a tourniquet about his neck. Suddenly, I have a different feeling about it. He's just as dead either way. Right. But the fact that she's like, oh, I didn't do the job. Let me go craft. (laughs) 
out of the necklace that he bought her. Out of the necklace that he bought me. Let me go craft and a fork. Let me go craft this tourniquet that I can squeeze about my father's neck. Does it while looking in his face and singing this cold ass song makes it different to me. Now, he's just as dead either way. Absolutely. So why? Why does it make it different? No, it's completely, it's a lot more gruesome. It's dark as hell. It is. And when you overlay that, when you you compare that Shallan with the Shallan that we met in the beginning of of Kings, this this little strawberry-haired, naive on the boat, kind of fancy lady, you know, and you, you kind of take a minute and look back over this character over the last, you know, 1600 pages that we've read of her. It's, it is, I think it's meant to be chilling and adds a whole nother layer to her. It's interesting that you say that because I did go back and reread those first couple of chapters Mm -hmm. in Carboranth Mm -hmm. and you don't even realize the degree, even experiencing it, you don't realize the degree to which this character has changed until you go back and do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. And so far in this series, that has been my favorite part of the series so far. Because mm-hmm. I went back and reread some Kaladin chapters as well. Mm-hmm. Not as much of a change there. Yeah. You know, Kaladin has changed, but nah, not that much. Shallan is like a completely different person. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about her character so much. And as she continues to grow, you know, you see how she does craft herself into different people according to her environment. And that's something that could be like a convenient character or a poorly written character. But when you... For her, it's very organic. It's very much would be a natural consequence of the way that she grew up in this abusive household. No, it's really it's really well done. And she's clearly the best written character so far, especially because at this point, I'm not wholly convinced that she's a good guy. Nice. Like, I don't like... It's almost going from the opposite direction as Kaladin, right? Mm-hmm. So Kaladin, in this book, until he gets dropped into the chasm, has been this sort of good character who's sinking into a pit. And he's starting to do things that are wrong and contemplating doing things that are downright evil because he's just descended into this dark place and moved away from his spirit and moved away from people and isolated himself. And he's getting into this sickness. And But I don't really question whether or not he's supposed to be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Shallan, on the other hand, starts off clearly as one of the good guys. She's couldn't have a whiter hat if she tried. Mm-hmm. And now, two-thirds of the way through this book, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like... I don't know if if she's going to end up on the right side of all this mm-hmm. when all is said and done. Mm-hmm. She, I want I mean, she did not, I'll give her that she killed her father in self-defense, mm-hmm. but we don't know about her mother. Mm-hmm. And she seemed to take to that act of murder 
pretty calmly. Pretty calmly. <laughs> like, and let's not forget that on the day her mother died, that wasn't the only body there. Mm-hmm. There were at least two. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea what happened, whether her dad killed one and she killed the other, or who, but we know she was involved. Mm-hmm. So... And you know she was involved as a child of like eight. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's some crazy stuff. You know what I noticed too in this chapter this time through that I don't think I've noticed it on any other reread. I started really thinking about the fact that Lynn survived a dose of blackbane powder, which has been increasing in potency. For years. Years. Now, you know, you could think, oh, well, maybe he's just a big, strong guy. But we know from we've been exposed to Blackbane leaves before. You know, Kaladin in Wave Kings talked about how potent they were and how there was no doubt that if he ate these leaves, it would kill him. It's not like he was like, oh, maybe it'll paralyze me. Like, there's there's no way he was going to take something that would maybe just leave him paralyzed on the floor of the slave wagon. Yeah. So you're saying that Lynn DeVar is going to be played by Wallace Shawn? <laughs> I don't know, but I think the then I started really paying attention to all the times that it was mentioned something there there being something behind his eyes, or it almost seemed like he was possessed by something dark. And starting to wonder if that was more than a metaphor. I'm actually beginning to think the same thing for different for different reasons. Uh, you know, it just seems incredibly strange to me. I'm I'm going more and more the direction that that Shalon's mother was also crazy. Mm-hmm. I have, I don't really have anything to base that on, mm-hmm. other than I still don't believe that Shalon killed her mother in cold blood. Right. So I believe that there was something, either it was accidental or her mother was also crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm beginning to think that whatever is in that freaking box that only she can see is driving people around her to darkness. That if it wasn't for whatever it is, that none of that would have happened to her. Mm-hmm. That Lynn Devar and whatever happened with her mother never would have never would have been like that mm-hmm. if it wasn't for this. Th- the fact that so many things seem to be spinning around this tiny little podunk family in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and this you know the, the ghost blood starts showing up. They take his son away, but then they come back. They're they're mm-hmm. they're bringing a soul caster. They're digging things up. They're trying to find things. She appears to have this very different type of shard blade, mm-hmm. unlike any other one from out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It leads me to believe that something evil is buried underneath of that castle and is driving them to that. All right. Got a lot of good speculation out of this chapter. I... This chapter more than any other, and there's other good chapters Mm -hmm. in this section, but I did more reading and going back and trying to, you know, I got my pin board out, my cork board and my, Mm -hmm. my note cards and my red yarn and try to connect a lot of dots here. Nice. 
Chapter 74 is called Striding the Storm. Kaladin makes it to safety in the cubbyhole, not a moment too soon. He and Shallan snuggle and swap deep dark secrets. That's it. That's the whole synopsis. Cave snuggling. Doom, ba, ba, boom, doom, boom, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. We be cave snuggling. Doom, ba, ba, bing, 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 bing. Me and my girl, we be cave snuggling all night long. Yeah, baby, they get close. Mm-hmm. She's like, I can make this cave a little bit bigger, but mama got to keep it tight. <laughs> Let me tell you about the time I killed my father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I got daddy issues. <laughs> Come on in here with me. <laughs> let's let's sit and watch the river of death together. Right. With the corpse water. Isn't it uh. romantic? <laughs> so the first thing I noted in this was how Shallan pulls Kaladin up with a sudden surge in italics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he's like, "Where's your sphere?" And she's like, oh, "I must have dropped it." <laughs> I, I don't know. This is not a time to be trying to borrow money. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. He's not really trying to hide. He wants you to to get all these things, right? Absolutely. You know, I thought Just, it's like all the times before we, you know, bef- in the midway point of Way of Kings, we're like we. Get it. The arrows bend around him for right. Christ's sake. Like <laughs> how many times do you have to tell us? Like my first note is how Kaladin, this is after they tell each other their stories, that mm-hmm. he understands like the level of suffering that she's experienced, mm-hmm. but she's not being a dick about it like he is. Now he he got that the last or the last section, but it's sort of a deepening of that. It's yeah. much more tangible. Yeah, Kaladin realizing that he does not have a monopoly on pain and misery, right. and really that sinking in. That's a big character moment for him, it, you know. And I he he I think he even thinks like, what would it have been like if instead of living off Tien's light, he had been the one required to bring light to his family. You know, and you just see him coming out of this self-involved, this self-obsession that he seems to have always kind of had. Yeah. You know, even in his flashbacks, it was kind of all about Kaladin's feelings. Yeah, you know, yeah. All about how he was reacting to mm-hmm. things. And for the first time, he's like, oh, what was it like for my brother? I'm going to cheer my mopey ass up all On the top time. of it, right? On top of everything else. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. So Shalon in the last chapter has the, you know, walks back through all this pain. Mm-hmm. Kaladin starts kind of coming up out of his funk. Right. Are these two going to see their powers expand? Uh, we certainly, I have no idea what's going to happen with Kaladin mm-hmm. and his broke-ass, non-spren-having mm-hmm. self. But I think Shallan is probably going to see her abilities expand. I think that it's chapter 75, that I have some notes about that because Shallan has a conversation with Pattern about what she needs to expand her powers mm-hmm. next. Yeah. But I think, too, uh, Kaladin realizing that he is the one who killed her brother. Yeah. That's, uh... The other thing that's interesting is that she doesn't seem to pick up on it. She does not. And 
you know, I can't really say that I would. You know, if Kaladin yeah. told the story as Amaram killed his soldiers to to because he to get a shard blade, or yeah. he killed his own men to cover up that he did something shady to get a shard blade. Yeah. Why would you assume? You know. True. Yeah. And I, I thought that was interesting, and I thought it was interesting that he laid out the groundwork that why he doesn't just automatic why he doesn't tell her. That, yeah. oh, yeah, I killed a shard bearer, you know, because he's had very bad consequences for saying that before. Exactly. Yeah. But it's also a lucky break. And he is not even a little bit tempted to tell her the truth. No. He's like, oh, did I say? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that Amaran, what a wanker, right? Oh, he's a real <laughs> piece of work. Yeah. And her first response to him after hearing his story is, I killed my father. I killed my father. <laughs> How's that for an opening line? Right. Though to be fair, swipe right, swipe right. <laughs> Kaladin, when they when they, left, I don't know. when they first get in, left left is bad. I don't know. I don't know either. Actually, <laughs> listeners chime in. <laughs> is left or right good or bad? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was funny how when the storms first hits. And uh, she'll, you know, it's like, oh my gosh! And and Callan's like, you call this a storm? You know, <laughs> in my day we didn't have nice little cubbies. We just got strapped to the roof. In my, in my day, they just tied you to a flagpole and left you hanging out there. <laughs> cubbies, you had cubbies. <laughs> yeah, right. Got a cubby? I didn't get nothing. I had to hang from the flagpole and flap around in the wind. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, I killed my father. Damn, you always got it going up me. <laughs> Why can't you let me have this? <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing, the other kind of big thing in this chapter is the vision that Kaladin and Shallan both share. Yeah. And what really strikes me in this chapter is how there is something supernatural about these storms. Oh, yeah. You know, the the after image that they both see of a screaming face, the red it, it was, lightning spread, giant glowing. So here's an interesting description of the glowing figure that we've seen around okay. that I, I feel like you speculated was... Yasna or Elikar or yeah, yeah, we yeah. didn't know if it was Seth, but here it's described as being like enormous, not human size, a giant inhuman glowing thing. Yeah, I actually wrote this quote down because it was so weird. Mm -hmm. It said something was glowing on the plateau, something that moved. It was hard to see since water streamed off the side of the plateau above, falling in a sheet before their refuge. He swore he saw an enormous figure walking up there, a glowing inhuman form, followed by another, alien and sleek, striding the storm leg after leg until the glow passed. Yeah, what the hell is that? Yeah, I actually at first thought, uh, when I first read it the first time through, I thought it was the Parshendi out in storm form, you know, gloating about... Aha, we killed a bunch of Alethi, you know. Because clearly, and the one thing we never really talked about about the attack is that Parshendi seemed to show up at the same time that the bridge collapsed. And we never really, and we still don't really find out in this section what any of that was about or what happened or mm -hmm. why the Parshendi showed up at the same time. So, but I thought it had something to do with them until I, 
until I read again enormous figure glowing in human followed by another alien and sleek. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like the Parshendi in storm form. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't sound like anything at all, right? That we've seen, right? So, I mean, and this is just what Brandon Sanderson does, though. He like clears some stuff up. And then he drops out some new stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll true, find yeah. out in like 800 pages maybe. And we'll be like, oh, damn. That's what that was. That's what that was. And that's why I swear this series gets better every time you reread it. Because you just catch little things that were laid out on purpose like 900 pages ago. What There's, must his cork board look like? I don't even know. He's got to have an entire room, a red yarn room. Right? It's amazing. So many thumbtacks. <laughs> the people at Office Depot are like, damn, Brandor. <laughs> Again? Start buying your thumbtacks at Costco. <laughs> so they both have this vision. Now, we don't know what the vision looks like to Shalon, just that she sees a giant face and she wants to draw it. I actually didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that she would have had a vision as well. I just was noted that she saw the face also, which right. to that to this point, I didn't know if the face was something only Kaladin was seeing, but other people didn't see a face in the mm-hmm. storm. But so to me, the big reveal as it relates to Shallan was that she also can see the face. She could see it, yeah. So either Shall- mean meaning Kaladin's not crazy, or everybody can see the face mm-hmm. in the right occasions. But I, it didn't cross my mind that she was also having a vision. Yeah. Well, we don't really know. We just know that she saw it. Yeah. And we know that the Stormfather speaks to Kaladin and confirms that that he has killed Syl. Which Syl, who we heard weeping in an earlier chapter. He heard distant weeping. Could have been a little sprint funeral. Could have <laughs> so sad. Oh, my God. I put her in a little matchbox. Stop it. No. I can't. Laid, laid <laughs> little daisies over top of her. Uh. Amazing. <laughs> Stop. I have to sleep tonight. Zing, Sue. <laughs> so... The thing about the Stormfather that is interesting to me is Kaladin says here, and it's been said before, you know, Stormfather is like one of the Voran gods, and it's supposed to be a herald. He says, oh, this is supposed to be Talonella, whatever. They call him the Almighty or Honor. Some of Some of them do. He specifically says it's supposed to be a herald. Right. But... I think somewhere else it's called a spren. And it seems to behave more like a spren. And it knows all these things about what's going on in spren land. Right. So I don't think it's a herald. I think the Vorans are out of their mind. I think it's just another one of these wacky ass mega spren. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. All that for that. All that for that. So 
The Stormfather tells, calls Kaladin the son of honor and also child of Tanavast. Those are a couple of names we've heard before thrown yeah. around. He also tells him that he is like the ones that came before. So we know that that's talking about the previous Night's Radiant, who mm-hmm. through the recreants, um, we're assuming the same thing happened to their spren as is happening to Syl. So what it appears to be, although in the recreants, it appeared to be when they abandoned their shards. Right. Is when that occurred. But they broke their oath. They broke their oaths. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good point. Yeah. That seems more clear now. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. That and jazz hands. Chapter 75 is called True Glory. Kaladin and Shallan return to the war camp and surprise the hell out of everyone. Dalinar is ready to head out on his expedition and Shallan convinces him to take her along. With her newfound ability to map out the plains, their chances of finding the Parshendi just got a little bit better. So we start off, though, with Amaram trying to get Dalinar to reconcile with Sadius. And Dalinar thinking, this has to be done with precision. <laughs> and and he, he thinks about me, his plan is, regarding e- Amaram. Is everything that goes on inside of Dalinar's head a razor commercial? Like it's a <laughs> Gillette commercial. <laughs> like, Yes, the inside of Dalinar's head is a Gillette commercial. It's a Gillette commercial. Like, (laughs) five blades. (laughs) Precision engineering. (laughs) Chock full of micro technology. (laughs) This engagement with Sadius is fraught with danger. (laughs) Lather up, boys. That's amazing. And the inside of Adolin's head is a Coors Don't. Light commercial. <laughs> I knew we were going to have a fight tonight. <laughs> I knew it. It's nothing but bikini babes and beach balls. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> Come on board. Start a love train. Love train. <laughs> I just need what's to recover the, from that. What's what's the inside of Kaladin's head like? Reverse mortgage commercial. <laughs> Do you or someone you know have a house? Are you over the age of sixty five? Yeah, the inside of Kaladin's head is is a four thirty in the morning commercial. Any commercial yeah. that you see at four thirty in the Do morning. Do you or someone you know? Been injured in an accident. Do you have mesothelioma? <laughs> Call one eight seven seven cats. No. The inside of Kaladin's head is that Sarah McLaughlin commercial. Oh Lord, the one that always shows up in the middle of comedy shows. And we're like, no, yeah, damn it. God. We're like, and then I told the bitch to get out. <laughs> And then it's in the arms of the angel. angel. <laughs> Christ, man, you're ruining my buzz, Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> she is the biggest buzz kill there is. Totally. <laughs> now, the inside of Shallan's head is like do 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 manamana do 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 because she's going can't hear you can't can't hear you. 
Oh, this has been amazing and informative. (laughs) (laughs) This is deep analysis right here. I mean, you know, where's your DSM-4 now? (laughs) (laughs) We've killed Liz with comedy. Hold on, I I need some water. Your throat is a precision engineered device designed for swallowing and breathing, but never at the same time. She's walking out of the room. In this dark, cold hotel room. I'm like lightheaded. Okay. Now I'm giving you the signal. Get it back together, Douglas. (laughs) All right, so listen. Whew. I only have two comments for this chapter. Oh, really? So the first is there was like a genocide, like a spren genocide. Mm-hmm. So there was a sprenocide. Oh, Jesus. God. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, I wrote it down. <laughs> Come on, I can't be the first person to think of that. Probably not. <sighs> and my and my second comment is nobody puts baby on a shelf. That's right. Shalon will have none of your protectiveness. I love that scene. I yeah. love the whole reunion with Adeline. She's not going to be put into a room with yellow wallpaper. It's not happening. Right? She's like, son of a bitch, I just <laughs> helped kill a chasm fiend. I don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll never let that happen like, to you. I'll never let you fall off a bridge again. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't worry. That lever puller is dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, Be- she's like, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing but flats for you from here on out. Right. <laughs> Can we get some nursing shoes for Shalon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a Payless commercial. I don't know. <laughs> so back to the conversation with Amaram, because I haven't moved past that. Oh. <laughs> Amaram lies to Dalinar about the shard blade. He does. About the uh, about the honor blades. That, the honor blades that the, the, the madman has been talking about, Talonel. Mm-hmm. And yep. he had, Dalinar had sent Amaram to find out what's up with that. And Amaram lies to him. He also, Dalinar reveals in his in his mind that he's got a plan regarding Amaram that he shared with Navani. We don't know what that is yet. Because his train of thought gets interrupted by... He came out of the chasms! What? Yeah, Kaladin has never been happier. He walks out all banged up, you know, missing a tooth, black eye. He's like joking, cutting up, carrying on. Oh, I mean, he's, he's, this is pretty much his hero moment. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's being surrounded and fawned over. Like, he lived through a high storm in the chasms. He's lived through two, two high storms now. Right, but. But he's like, light eyed princess. He's like, <laughs> only slightly damaged. <laughs> right. Oh, so my favorite part is him, you know, tossing the gem heart oh, yeah. at Dalinar's feet and going, we took care of that for you, sir. And Shalon being, oh, stop being so melodramatic. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. That, I, I just really like that part. 
but he could tell they were lying because of his five precision blades. (laughs) He could never get those stubborn chin hairs. So Amaram also, I thought it was interesting that he disappears when he sees Kaladin. So he comes up with Navani. Everyone's like, hey, what's going on? And, you know, he sees who it is that's come out of the chasms and he's he books it. That hoe over there. I'm getting away. We also see Navani have a change of heart towards Shallan. This is kind of a turning point for her. She's been putting her off and ignoring her. And all of a sudden she's kind of accepted Shallan as one of her her brood. Mm hmm. Which is very touching for us because we know Shallan's parent issues. So it's nice to see her land in a place that's safe and with people who are seeming to start to care for her. Yeah, agreed. So the the conversation she has with Pattern is interesting. She asks him whether or not she is a Radiant because apparently only a Radiant can open the Oath Gate. So she's trying to figure out what, what criteria she needs to meet to be able to do that. Pattern tells her that... She could progress in her skills. She's lacking a truth. So her order of Knights Radiant doesn't need to find words. They need to discover truths about themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes it goes back to the very beginning of her discovering her power when she wants to try to soul cast something or, you know, and and they're like, you have to give us a truth. And so. Right. We had kind of gotten away from that. So it's not immediately top of mind. Right. Pattern also tells her that she's asking him about the Knight's Radiant. What can he tell her? He doesn't remember everything because his memory was damaged when he came to her world. He tells her that he was not himself when the Knight's Radiant existed. That Spren aren't really born. They don't really die. Their energy. They always exist, but they don't have minds or awareness until they have the bond. So everyone of his kind and of many of the different kinds of Spren who experience the bond are back to being mindless. So for them, they're dead. They're just still out there. But they, they tried to restore them. They can't do it. And this is interesting. He says, we've tried to restore them. Maybe if their knights had lived, something else could have been done. So. Hmm, okay. That's something to put a pin in. Check. And now Shallan's going on a road trip. Road trip. Best road trip snack. Combination between combos. Combos. I was going to say, if you don't instantly say combos, then you're wrong. (laughs) And peanut M&M's. We're in agreement. Right? Yeah. Clearly. Twizzlers? Mm. Giant bag of Twizzlers. That's handy. That's definitely handy. It's good stuff. Yep. I like to bite the end off of both ends of the Twizzler and use them as a straw for my Coke Zero. I'll tell you, a giant bag of Twizzlers was the only thing that got us through our children's last sporting event where I was locked in a room with... With five 14-year-olds for six hours. There were feelings, and then I broke out the Twizzlers, and then everybody was fine. Yeah. <laughs> it still works. I don't know. I'm on a tangent. It makes mouth happy. So on to the interludes. Yes, interlude number 12. It is called Lan. 
Brother Lan is an ardent to Queen Asudan of Kolinar, the easiest job in the world. All he has to do is lie to the queen and tell her that she has the Almighty's favor, despite her wanton cruelty and apathy. In return, Asudan's ardents are kept in luxury. Unfortunately, the arrangement doesn't sit well with the palace's new ardent, Pai. Despite Lan's urging to stay in line, Pai openly condemns Asudan's government. She is executed and Kolinar revolts. It's hitting the fan. Damn. Yeah, wow. Kolinar has apparently gone to shit since Navani left. Yeah. Anarchy for a lethy. <laughs> Yeah, Elkar's wife does not come off well in this chapter. No, not at all. So she she is apparently someone who likes to think, she likes to feel that those around her are refined because that makes her more refined. She surrounded herself with uh, sycophants who are going to tell her she's doing a good job. Lon tells Pi that uh, she worries that the Almighty isn't pleased with her. She's basically gone full Marie Antoinette. I think it's interesting that there are riots now in Alcar. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see how that turns out with the entire power base, essentially. Right. Sitting a thousand miles away. Right. Or however many hundreds of miles away. I thought there were some interesting comments uh, and questions raised about the Almighty from when Pi from is Pi, talking yeah. to mm-hmm. Lon. You know, she asks, like, why, if, you know... What are we doing here? Why don't we hear from the Almighty? She says, The heralds said that we defeated the Voidbringers, that Ahariatiam was the great victory for mankind. I don't know if I said that right. Well, but that's how, the. How could you? <laughs> the battle, the big battle where they, the heralds walked away. Walked away. Yeah. But they told the people that they had defeated them. Um, but she says, But shouldn't they have like come and counsel us every now and then, like when the recreants or when the uh, hierocracy happened, like why didn't they come and like denounce us and say, hey, don't do that? And no one has, has raised these things before. Like this taken them this long to be like, oh, hey. Or what's like, up with that? Or like Pi, those who have raised it have either been ostracized or killed or yeah. silenced. Yeah. It, it does... I'm looking forward in the next few books into getting deeper into what's going on with the Voran religion because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem accidental to me that they are so strong and so powerful in this society and yet so obviously wrong in a world where these sort of metaphysical, magical things exist. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting. We have this concept that there's this epic, you know, struggle between two sides. We know that the heralds were losing and they so badly that they threw down their swords and said, we're not doing this anymore. Let's just lie and tell the people that we won. And then things seem to go, people seem to believe that. But we know that the bad guys don't just go away. I mean, we know yeah, that they yeah. didn't win. So mm-hmm. what's there and what what are the the forces of evil or odium? What are they doing that we haven't seen yet that's just become a normalized part of Alethi society and culture and how things are? Yeah, I never really took it that way from the initial preludes. I mean, yes, 
the way I took it was that they had sort of won a war, that the Heralds kind of ended up having to fight these desolations over and over and right. over again. And when they were sort of between desolations, they were taken away to this spiritual place where they were tormented, like hell. Mm-hmm. And I took it that after they were brought back to Roshar, won this war, that they said, you know what? We're not going back to sit and allow people to be tortured or allow ourselves to be tortured. So we're going to break the Oath Pact, which we know is going to have some sort of consequence, but also more to the point, we're just going to basically chill out here and try and escape. And when the next desolation comes, we'll see what happens. They're the Radiance. So I didn't take it necessarily that they had sort of kind of given up in a fight. I I took it that the war was complete, but that there would be some sort of fallout from the fact that they were not honoring their bond or their oath to this. And so if, you know, hell isn't, you know, currently torturing the heralds, well, they got to put that energy somewhere. Or... Or there was a reason why the heralds were there, some sort of ancient agreement that uh, we won't, you know, destroy the entire planet if you give us ten of your best, you know, or something like that that they're in, that they're violating. I don't want to say too much because I'm having trouble remembering what's been revealed and what hasn't, but there's definitely like a like a nuclear pact. It's like a balance of it's like this mutual destruction equilibrium mm-hmm. uh, kind of going on between the surge binders and the the parshendi gods okay or the parshendi you know they're talking about both sides have talked about or at least on the parshendi side they've said well they have surge binders so we need to yeah look for new forms yeah and we've talked and the about spren that have too, kind yeah. of been like mm-hmm. oh well we're seeing these red lightning spren that means we need to start yeah you know having knights radiant again and that's all tied to the oath pact as well, the Oath Pact was sort of, well, I, I'm not, again, we'll just have to keep reading. Or maybe we'll go back and look in Way of Kings again. But I think the idea is that there are still, like, all is not right with a Lethe society. And we've talked about that before. Oh, yeah. And it's becoming more and more evident that it's not just poor writing. It's not just, oh, they're just kind of an annoying society. Like, there's something going on that's wrong. No, I mean, we've heard in in Way of Kings, Odium reigns and honor mm-hmm. is dead, and we see that their society is all broke to hell, mm-hmm. and we see even that their continent is, like, environmentally is mm-hmm. backwards and insane. So, so I don't, yeah, I think it's clear that whatever has been going on is because this is a world where the balance has shifted away from the good guys you know yeah and it's it's almost you almost get this feel of a story that's about like what if the bad guys won and nobody realized it yeah 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 yeah. interlude 13 is called a part to play eshonai hears the screaming in her head all of the time now not just when she attunes to the rhythm of peace all of the listeners who remain in narak have taken the storm form becoming something both old and new at once The new form seems to have changed Venli the least. Apparently, she was always a manipulative bee. 
Venli and Ashonai discuss the storm that they plan to summon, a storm that blows the wrong way and will wipe the Alephi off the map. It's a very short interlude. It's short. It's like a pa- two pages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought was interesting is uh, Venli is reporting and she's saying the Alethi are definitely coming. The agent who sent the report is sure of it. So we know that there are active spies yeah. in the camp. And so I, for, for me, the most significant thing is at the end. Oh, sorry. No, that I was just sort of thinking as you were saying that if this is, it's it's hard in chapter 75 Shalon tells Dalinar, don't bring the Parshendi. Right. The Parshan, Parshman. The Parshman, sorry, the Parshman. So if there's somebody who's observing them leaving, I mean, it could be a Parshman, because it's not as though, you know, moving thousands of Alethi is a something you're doing. Well, and they've been making plans for this expedition and drumming up support from the other high princes for for a while now. Correct. So it certainly could be a parchment, but when you said that the way you said it, it just caused me to think for the first time, do they have human conspirators? I, I don't know, but we we do know that they definitely have spies who take on the work form, which looks similar to the slave form. Yeah. Or, or dull form, whatever, similar to the slave form, um, but they're not in that blank they're not the parchment. So the parchment actually, like, they're that blank form. They actually really can't think. Yeah. But the Parshendi have sent some in in dull form to bring back information. They, yeah. They're able mm-hmm. to think, and they just kind of are pretending. So yeah. we know that that's still going on. The thing that was the most interesting to me in this section was Venli tells Ashonai that the storm is going to blow the wrong way. And Ashonai says, how do you know that? And Venli says, the songs. And Ashonai starts thinking, the songs don't say anything about that. But then something in her mind, something deep within her, nudges her not to think that and to move on. So we've heard Ashonai talking about almost feeling guided, almost like she can hear voices behind the new songs, the new rhythms. So that was just seems like a significant little snippet. The one that I thought was significant and it, again, Brandon Sanderson is not being all that circumspect here, is he says, Venley seemed too comfortable in these new forms, almost like she'd been in them before. Well, and, you well it know, says that she's changed the least. There's something going on there. Well, he specifically says something to the effect of almost like it's not the first time she's done it or something along those lines in a way that seems very Mm -hmm. pointedly to be saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. there's something going on with Venley. Right. I have a prediction. Nice. Okay. So interlude 14 is called Teravangian. Old T-Vange. This is the one either. So many bombs that get dropped in this chapter. Teravangian wakes up on a ship to Vedanar with a stiff back and an average level of intelligence. Apparently, a visit to the Night Watcher has left him with a strange condition. He wakes up every day with a different level of intelligence. On his most brilliant day, he wrote the diagram, a grand plan to save humanity from the coming desolation. This plan involves assassinating world leaders and becoming king of Yakoved. Damn. Old T-Vange. This one just blows my mind. 
all this stuff getting revealed about Taravangian. Well, it's interesting. So we first meet him. He's sort of kindly and dopey. Mm-hmm. And then we see him later talking to Shallan in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he's not nearly as dopey. Right. And then we see him again when he takes Seth's oath stone and right. he's freaking insidious. Right. Like, so we've we've known that he has these sort of different sort of characteristics, but I took it, and I'm, I'm sure other people did as well, is though when he was walking around dopey but kind was because it was a game. It was right. putting on a show. Right. But it turns out that does not seem to be the case. It seems to be part of, again, the Night Watcher. Mm-hmm. And what I want to know is why do the leadership of all these countries <laughs> go like <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons? Are you familiar with you familiar with the magic item called the Deck of Many Things? Yeah. All right. So it's like if you took every major leader, you know, f- you know the G seven or the G twenty, and you made them all draw from the Deck of Many Things. <laughs> you know, like. You get a wish. You get a rotting disease, but your charisma <laughs> goes up by two. Like, you know, like, you know, just randomly all these people. Why are they all going to see the Night Watcher? Like, I mean, to be fair, two is your sample size right now. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Night Watcher. She told me what to do. Boom, 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 boom. So, yeah, Taravangian went to the Night Watcher and he asked her for the capacity to save humanity. And she gave him, and I oh, I just think this is so, like, brilliant. She gave him incredible intelligence and incredible empathy, but never at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they're inverse of each other. So on the days when he is brilliant, he has zero empathy. And he does ho- tries to do horrible things like, you know, make people who aren't intelligent all kill themselves. <laughs> yeah. But on days when he's stupid, then he's, you know, feels for people. So... Which makes you wonder, this perfect plan for uniting all of Roshar Mm -hmm. was crafted and designed when he was supernaturally brilliant and 100% lacking any degree of human empathy. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it a good plan? It doesn't seem like it's very good so far. I mean, it involves a murder room. (laughs) Not just your average murder room. (laughs) Not like a murder basement or even a murder bungalow. (laughs) It's like a murder hospital. A murder hospital. It's like a well-staffed saw, but like if things were like up to date, you know, good HR policies, you know? Yeah. And it also seems to, we're going to save humanity by killing off massive swaths of humanity Mm -hmm. prior to a major war. It doesn't seem like this is helping. (laughs) Seems kind of like it's hurting. But hey, the bottom most inch of the left side of the headboard says, this is what needs to happen. Uh, yeah. So it's almost like they've got this whole, so this whole organization is built around 
following this diagram and making sure it comes true. Yeah. Which is crazy. The other part of it is that, like, he he knows that, like, he sort of crafted this. Mm-hmm. But he does, it's so cryptic that it has its own language. They've mm-hmm. had to decode. I just sort of, doesn't he sort of, like, give the sense to you that, like, he can't really, rem- he can't remember. He can't remember making it. Making it. And he, the farther away that he gets from, in time, from the day he made it, the more shifty things are, which is where the, the, the murder hospital comes in. They were using those death rattles to augment, because they're glimpses of the future, to augment the, the diagram. And every time he has a very, very smart day, he goes in and tries to fix it. But a big part of the, the conversations that he's having with his lead scholar are about how, when, when could I expect to ever be that intelligent again? Because he, at, at this point, feels like he needs to update the diagram well and also the so they go through this big you know discussion of mathematics right and we say in terms of probability it could happen any day it could happen every day it's a single chance that single chance could be anything but also if you live 2,000 years it's a 50 50 chance you'll ever have a day like that so and on one hand it's the probability is Every day mm-hmm. is that it could happen. It's, but at the same point in time, it's almost impossible for it to ever happen. Mm-hmm. It sort of makes me question: Did this even come from him? Is it even real? That's an interesting question because Teravangian does say repeatedly. One of the things that keeps coming up is that he worships no god but the man he was when he made the diagram. And he talks a lot about how, well, A, it's interesting that he knows that honor is dead or the oh, almighty. I didn't, I didn't really pick up on that. Yeah, he says, you know, the almighty is dead. He talks about oh, the almighty is dead, so Voranism is a sham. And he talks about how gods, there, there aren't any. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the leadership, political leadership, has led people to disaster, so... His only authority is the diagram. It's a little sketchy. It's super sketchy. Murder hospital, man. <laughs> it's sketchy. <laughs> so the other thing is that um, we get a couple of different names, right? So he says, Moloch moves then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what this thing is, but the fact that it's named Moloch means it's clearly bad. Not good. Don't name your baby Moloch. <laughs> it's it's going <laughs> to it's going to be good. It's going to end with nations crying in fiery fiery rains. So then we also get I don't even know how to nergile. Mhm. Right? And these appear to be bringing different sort of things. Like mm-hmm. so Moloch brings the words that people say the when they're dying, rattles, all the yeah. death rattles, and Nergile brings the combat thrill. Yeah. Now, which led me to believe that these were like ancient Cosmere beings that held like the shards that drive and power all the magic systems, and they're bringing different parts of the magic system with them. But then he says, 
that Nurgle is an ancient and evil spren. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to be chasing down ancient evil spren. Right. So that sort of throws the idea that it's a one of these people like race we hear about and throws that sort of idea out. But then it makes me think this. Okay, so the Night Watcher gave him this power, which led him to have this vision, Mm -hmm. right? This Nurgai, blah, 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 you know, is, he's, he clearly says is evil. The Stormfather that Kaladin saw is saying that, like, Syl's dead, but we know mm-hmm. Syl's not really dead. Mm-hmm. But there's something weird going on there where I'm not certain that he's on Team mm-hmm. Humanity either. Mm-hmm. Like, are all these big Megaspren just out to fuck over humanity? I think the... The major spren, the big sentient spren, are definitely beings with their own agendas. And some of them are definitely devoted to the destruction of humanity, and some are more neutral. And like, I'll help humanity out if it's convenient, but don't get in my way kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think they're just, they're individual. Yeah, it just makes me think that there's no reason to trust any of those creatures so why would you trust that the night watcher gave you this capacity what why would you go and appeal to them anyway other than you you know you don't get it i understand that but yeah i don't i think that it's just one of those things that probably everyone thinks they'll be different yeah if i just ask for the perfect thing you know and for him he thinks i'm asking for the capacity to save humanity like what what could be more self? What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong with that? End up with two numb hands. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of other things I noted. So T Vange runs into Seth and he's yes. like, Oh fuck. Yeah, he is. It's over. Mm-hmm. Seth doesn't kill him. Now, when we last saw F- Seth, he was all fuck your oath stone. Yeah, he was going to kill some guys. And then he rolls up and uh, he was like, I saw (laughs) what I'm not sure, but I think it was probably a Knight's Radiant. (laughs) And T-Vange is like, these are not the droids you're looking for. (laughs) And he's like, I will go back and kill Dalinar. (laughs) I mean, what the fuck was that all about? Well, a couple of things. First, I think that we realize that average intelligence Teravangian is actually still quite capable. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, he's, he's thinking about what a dum dum he is the whole chapter, but really he is able to manage Seth quite handily, you know, and he, he's able to recognize that what Seth really wants, he, Seth doesn't really want to kill him. I mean, he probably does want to kill him, but what he really wants is to be to be given his purpose back, to be told, no, it's okay. You're still not responsible for all of those deaths that you made. You're still truthless. It was just an honor blade. Yeah. What's interesting about that is when he says, oh, wait, I just realized. It's not very smooth. He's like, no. oh, I just learned. I, ju- I just found Telepathically, out. I was yeah. told. <laughs> There seems there's a report right. coming in. <laughs> exactly. There were seven blades. <laughs> a shave so smooth. <laughs> not even the night watcher could make your face smoother. That, so that was the other thing I was going to bring up 
that uh, he says, one of the honor blades has vanished. Just found out. And he and Seth says one of the other seven. So I was like, oh, okay. So we learn that there are seven honor blades kept by someone. And then I was like, okay, yeah. So Seth has one. We know that Talon has one because he showed up with it. Yep. And we know mm-hmm. that Darkness has one. Okay. Yes, when he is chasing Lyft. Oh, I know that Darkness okay. has one. I'm just not sure that the seven are referencing like a distinct unit set aside somewhere. So I, I took it differently. So Darkness has one, Talon has one, Seth has one. There's 10 total. Yeah. When Taravangian tells Seth one of the honor blades is missing, he says one of the other seven. And then Taravangian says, well, your people are very secretive, so I've heard hints, but it's one of the two that allow regrowth. That was said in there? Yes. I totally missed that. I wrote that. it down. Okay. I mean, there's a lot said, but yeah. Okay, cool. I, I took it differently. I, I didn't think that there was somebody like, you know, with a museum that had collected seven of them already. Well, think if they didn't know that, how would they know one was missing? I guess that's true. Yeah, that's true. So it sounds like at this point, it kind of sounds like like the Shin are holding on to those honor blades. The Shin? Well, doesn't he say your people? Oh, he people? says it to you. Oh, he I see. He says it to Seth. Your oh, people your, are, very, okay. are very secretive. Well, that's interesting because that's the only part of the continent that's not covered in creme. Mm-hmm. Ah. All right, okay. So the other thing that makes me question whether or not the diagram is meant to be good is it says in the corner when he he realizes things are all askew, so after he dismisses Seth, he says, bring me back the diagram, I need to look at it. And Mm -hmm. he goes through and he looks at it, and he reads a section that says, you cannot stop their oaths. You'll find the ones that survive when they shouldn't are what you should look for. So that leads me to believe that his diagram is part of what is part of the group that's trying to go out there to stop the radiance from occurring, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because that sort of aligns with Voronism, which he dismisses. Right. We've always thought of like Spren and and the radiance as being a good thing, but we're also hearing about these Spren who don't seem to have any human interest in mind. Right. At this point, I don't have any idea who's a good guy or who's like. <laughs> That's n- how you know it's a good story. No concept. So I think it was interesting too in this conversation with after Seth leaves and <laughs> Taravangian and he's like they're just like sitting there like oh shit that was close moment. yeah yeah and they start trying to figure out okay who was this radiant because when Seth first says. Eyes, he, colon has a surge binder. He's like, ah, oh, he knows about Yasna. And it's, but it's not Yasna. And they're yeah. like, okay, well, who is it then? And well, he I thought says, it was interesting. He, he says he assumes that Yasna faked her own death. Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, you, but okay. I wanted to put that in before we moved on. Yeah, he did say that. And then the, he talks about Shalon because his, um, his lead scholar is there and she says, well, is it Yasna's ward? And he says they were surprised when she had showed up on the Shattered Plains and they assumed that she's been trained either by Yasna or by her brother before her. Oh, so he, so they're implying that he was a surge binder. 
Or they suspected that he was that Hilarion was a, that it was, was a yeah. surge binder. I mean, he was kind of a pussy surge binder if he was able to be taken down by Kaladin with a spear with, yeah. and no surge binding. <laughs> Even so. Even so, Kaladin did just kill a chasm fiend with no surge binding. That's true. So apparently he's the baddest mofo of all time. Baddest mofo. Sad puppies in his head. <laughs> it's like if you combine Mr. T and Robert Smith. <laughs> yes, so true. I pity the fool who breaks up with me and makes me sing sad songs. <laughs> well, that's all the notes I have for this section. What else do you have? Uh, the, the only other one I had is I wanted to bring up the thing about Yasna. So mm. I will bring this up as well. So the king that he goes in at the end, you know, and ends up killing him is Valam, who was the high prince of the Devar family. I don't know why that means anything, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of interesting that from because I've reread so many of Shallan's chapters, they pointed that out multiple times throughout her story that this old high prince who was ailing and who was sick and was on his deathbed all these years is the same one. I don't know why that's important, but Brandon Sanderson wanted to make sure you were aware that that was the same guy. So if it actually turns out to mean anything, Mm -hmm. who knows? Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Right? The hell of a section. There's a lot to process. Man, there's a lot going Just on. Just wait, there. we're piling toward the end now. Whew. Coming down to it. Crazy stuff. You ready death for death some... lullabies? Death lullabies. So we have something new that we're going to tr- to try after we do our listener interaction. So don't you bail. You gotta listen to the whole thing. <laughs> You ready for listener interactions? Yes. All right. Brian McClure says, does Taravangian's disability make him more sympathetic or does the fact that he's not a sociopath, at least not all the time, make him more accountable for his actions? That's a good question. It is a good question. I think that's part of what I like about Taravangian as a character so much is that he's both. You do feel sympathy for him when he's, He's distressed by what he's doing. At the same time, he's chosen to hitch his star to this, the, the idea of this diagram, no matter what. I, I think it aligns very closely with the same sort of struggles that we talk about with Seth. Right. Seth has doing all these murders because he feels like he has to because of this oath stone. But that stone holds no power. It's mm-hmm. entirely in his head. Yeah. I sort of feel like the same thing's going on with Taravangian in a different way mm-hmm. in that Taravangian has these sort of dual, you know, aspects and he has this thing put upon him by the Night Watcher, but he also has blind faith that this diagram is the right thing mm-hmm. despite the thousands and perhaps millions of deaths it's going to cause. Mm-hmm. I see him as being very similar in that in that way. It makes it it makes it hard for me to, to directly answer the question. 
You know, the idea of doing something horrible for the greater good gets addressed so often in this book, not only on a large scale like that, but on a small scale too, with Amaram's actions, with Kaladin's decision that we see him struggling with right now about whether it's okay to kill the king for the greater good. So I, I just, I like the way that it's, explored in so many different ways in so many different characters. Well, and I think we have this sort of notion, at least in Western society, that it's okay to sort of do something, quote, for the greater good. But I think what this shows us is just how how messy that really is. It's never it's never so clear cut as to what the greater good is or greater good for who or you know, it just sort of poses the slippery slope argument as well, that I can justify just about anything by saying it's for the greater good. I'm going to murder the king because it's, quote, justice. To me, it sort of flies in the face of that I'm going to take life or cause damage or do pain or do something wrong because it's for the greater good. It's, you know, I'm going to save a worse thing. So I'm going to do a smaller bad thing. And I think it just what one of the things Brandon Sanderson is showing is that, no, it's still just shit. Mm-hmm. It's still just bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this kind of a, is along those same lines. Um, Brian McClure also says, did the ardent make the right decision in exposing the queen and government's hypocrisy or should she have tried to work within the system doing what good she could? I think she made the right choice. So I, I, yeah, I think when you think about the fact that that ardent, that pie has been in Kolinar for a year working there in that city, she probably knew that she was going to get executed. And I imagine she knew that that would be a catalyst for actually trying to change the system. So yeah, I would agree. Uh, Best quote from this section I mean, I want to say Five Blades, but that wasn't actually from the book. That was you. (laughs) Five blades and one razor. Some call it a shard blade. Others call it Gillette Maximum. Cooling gels. I I do. I love the part again where where Kaladin's all like, took care of that for you. Shallan's like, whatever. She's like, don't be so dramatic. There was I there was something with Kaladin and Shalon that they were talking about that I but I can't I can't recall it mm-hmm. right now, so I'll move on. Jen Nagel says, What do you think about Amram and Dalinar's discussion about the investigation of the madman? And we did kind of talk about this a little mm-hmm. bit, the fact that Amram lies to him. She wants to know what you know, what's gonna happen now that Kaladin is back. And did we enjoy that that reunion? And oh, Jen Nagel is on the Shadolin train. Choo choo. On that ship. Yo. <laughs> he wants to put her in a he wants to put her in a cubby hole and leave her there. No, but then he's cool when she says, Hey man, that's not cool. She's he's like, Okay, whatever. No, he did he did seem to be Yeah. Cool with that. So, okay. So what do you think's gonna happen with Amara? So it seemed so Dalinar and Navani have some sort of plan as it pertains to Amaram. Amaram seems to have some sort of plan as it pertains to the Mad Men. 
or the madman. He seems to be wanting to get out there. He clearly disappeared before Kaladin came back. I have no idea. I'm not even going to try to mm-hmm. guess. I mean, I do think Amaram is going to try to get out into the Shattered Plains to try to find the Oath Gate. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Amaram wasn't hiding because he saw Kaladin, but maybe because he saw Shallan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. Uh, I did enjoy the reunion. I, I do think we're going to start seeing a different Kaladin now. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to to having a little less mopey right. Kaladin. Right. Might be coming out of his emo phase. Yeah. Brian McClure says, what would you ask the Night Watcher and what would your price be? Two numb hands. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't ask any price. I'd pay money. I, I yeah, I feel like going to the Night Watcher is the and every time there's been this like genie with with wishes, but that there's always a catch kind of thing. I've always just said that's the dumbest thing. I would never do that. Yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would go to the Night Watcher. You know, you know what I would ask the Night Watcher? Can I watch? <laughs> Can I watch these other people come up here and make asses of themselves? Right. Should people take an IQ test before they can breed? I mean, obviously, we're not for that. No. <laughs> oh, he says, do you trust the diagram and the raw genius of a mind unfettered? No. I, yeah, I think we kind of covered that a little not bit. Not at We think all. that that is not anything that involves a murder hospital. Yeah, it can't be good. No, don't do it. If Murder Hospital is anywhere in the pitch, <laughs> got to turn it down. So listen, it's going to be a 30-year loan at 3.25%. <laughs> We've got a compounding interest rate and blah, blah, blah. This is going to come out great. Your finances are going to be amazing. You've got this beautiful unicorn in the backyard. Don't look at the Murder Hospital. <laughs> look at the swing set over here. The kids can play. Yeah. Nope. That's a deal breaker. <laughs> Sorry. Could you go back? Was it unicorn? <laughs> No, no. Was it the swing set? (laughs) Somewhere between those two. (laughs) Oh, the murder hospital. You're worried about the murder hospital? (laughs) Brian McClure also says, what is more important, intelligence or compassion? Well, I think the cool thing about humans is that we get both. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what makes us... Mm -hmm. I really like, though, Brandon's... uh, What he says in there about where Taravangian is talking about the days where he's extremely intelligent and the days where he is extremely stupid being pretty much the same thing. Yeah. That either was, way, mm-hmm. he says, you know, either the wheel is too big or too small to fit in. But either way, I, he, I can't have any meaningful contact with anyone, you know? And I thought that was a really just astute observation of what it's like to be, you know, either gifted or you know, twice exceptional or, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. just outside of the spectrum of normality. Yeah. Or, I mean, and I think the question in there, is it because he's incredibly smart and incredibly stupid mm-hmm. or is it because he's incredibly smart and incredibly compassionate? Mm-hmm. You know, because I think it's also difficult as a human being to go around throughout the world and feel 
everybody's pain. Mm-hmm. You can't operate that way. You can't get through life that way. You also can't get through life being stupid. Right. So, Thea Graham Brown says, feels like when we first encountered the old magic in Kaladin's flashback, it was basically a legend. But now it feels like everybody's popping by. <laughs> Just want to hang out. <laughs> yeah, yep. and I think that's what we, you know, that was what I was asking as well. Like, anybody with a name to them, it's almost like there's a red carpet leading up to the night. Watch. Well, let me just <laughs> let me just point out that people talk about visiting the night watcher. So, to me that says you have to travel to get to her. So, it would make sense that if you're in an area that is nearer to wherever she is, that you'd be more likely to stop by. Or if you're a person of privilege, you're more likely to be able to 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 do yes. it. You know. Yes. So if you're a person of privilege who's in a completely desperate situation, you would be able to do that. But if you're a person in, in Kaladin's flashback who lives in a podunk village and doesn't have a right of travel, you probably wouldn't know anyone yeah. that had done that. Yeah. But good thinking. He says, my thinking if is if the Night Watcher is a spren, then people have always done whatever it is that calls them. But only recently has it worked due to the return of this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. It's certainly possible. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's... He wants to know, do you reckon is Syl dead for sure? Is Kaladin getting his powers back? He'll find the second set of work. So as you pointed out, there was the idea that if their radiance had survived, maybe mm-hmm. there was something we could do. So mm-hmm. that's leaving the door open mm-hmm. that since Kaladin is alive, mm-hmm. that there may be some some right. way we can work this out. Apparently in the past when all the the radiance, you know, broke their oath and 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 committed sprenicide, mm-hmm. they all apparently rushed headlong off a cliff and died. I'm sure they actually went into yeah. battle and were killed. Yeah. But they all all of them died. So there was never an opportunity to find out. Mm-hmm. And now we have an opportunity to find out and the fact that there's three and a half books left to go, and he's on the cover of two of these books. <laughs> Tells me he's probably going to get his powers back. Well, Brian McClure, oh, this is a good question. He says, according to Teravangian, we didn't talk about this, but mm. Gavilar also had visions. Who else do you think may be having visions? Could the hierocracy have been telling the truth? Could the Sunmaker have been having visions as well? We forgot to talk about this, but Teravangian talks about the visions that Gavilar had mm-hmm. that kind of sparked all of this and the words unite them that Gavilar was told. Yeah. So Teravangian thinks his uh, bastard murder plan right. is going to unite them all. I think right. it's going to kill them all. It's but very uniting. It's, it just says unity right there. Nothing brings people together like death. Just kill a lot. Of, there's fewer to unite. For sure. If you kill a whole slew of them, just saying. For sure. I, I mean, I think Brian has a good question there that I've been wrestling with particularly in this episode, is who is telling the truth? Mm-hmm. Like, who are the good guys and the bad guys here? I've always been sort of like Team Spren, but now I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen Nagel got on here basically to say, holy crap, that scene with Shalon killing her father. And if you are on our Facebook group page, you can go onto this thread. She has posted... A, a YouTube video of where someone kind of conceptualized Shalon's lullaby, and it's creepy as hell. 
like you would think it would be. Like you would think. Susan King comes on to talk about Syl not being dead because of what kind of what we just talked about. Pattern saying that if the knights were still alive, they could possibly do something. Yeah, plus, you know, as Pattern points out that it's energy, energy doesn't die. Right. There still seems to me to be something, because we know that Spren are, at least it's been told to us, that Spren are like the spirit of things. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's an embodiment of spirit, which is why when they're in their sort of natural state, mm-hmm. they don't have a lot of thinking. So sort of like this empathy versus intellect discussion that we had, mm-hmm. Spren are all spirit and emotion. Mm-hmm. When somebody gets killed with a shard blade, it severs their soul. There's a connection there. Somehow that mechanism is at play here. You know, and I can't help but think that every person, every time somebody gets killed with a shard blade, be they Parshendi or Alethi or whoever they are, that it's just feeding odium. And making this worse. Are you ready to do something cool? Oh, Lord. I don't know. Ready? All right. Ready for the theme song? Okay. Yes. Ready. One, two, three, go. It's time to sing and review books that we haven't haven't read. Yeah. Made that up on the spot. So in this segment, Chad and I will take turns reviewing a book that we have not read, but the other one has. (laughs) I don't know how it's going to go, honestly. So so the spirit of the theme song is that you can't know how the theme song is going to go. You have to make it up on the spot. (laughs) We did brilliantly. All right, what book am I reviewing? All right, today in this segment, in this version of reviewing books we haven't read... You're going to review The Black Company by Glenn Cook. (laughs) I have not read that book. So, Liz. Oh, we have to tell them the one rule. What is the one rule of books you haven't read? The one rule as the reviewer of books you haven't read is you can't say, I don't know. (laughs) So, Liz. Yes. You've read The Black Company. I have not read The Black Company. Why don't you give us a quick synopsis? (laughs) The Black Company is a riveting tale about a company that's black. But not like racist black. Like (laughs) they, uh, they, they all wear hats. The hats are black. And so everyone calls them the black company what's really interesting is that there are three of them so it's like a play on three's company <laughs> but with black hats I, you that's know pretty much it so what do you think happens to the lady now well i think she runs off with mr roper oh yeah and they open a lovely b&b somewhere in up Upstate Vermont. Sounds good. Sounds good. (laughs) Do you think Raven will get away with it? I think that bitch isn't getting away with anything. She's going down. So who, here's the giant question. 
Who is the White Rose? Obviously, the White Rose is the the arch enemy of the Black Company. She's the the snitch that uh, has been trying to stick her thorns into the this tightly bound knit group that's just trying to live their life in an apartment in a time when it's it's not cool for men and women to share a platonic apartment relationship. So what does the future hold for the Dominator? He's going to dominate some shit, yo. Uptown, downtown, east side, west side, it's all getting dominated <laughs> by the Dominator. <laughs> Where do you think Croker goes from here? Well, obviously, the Croker is going to turn tail and uh, switch sides and fall in with the White Rose. Mm, okay, all right, interesting, interesting. What did you think about Croker's style of narration? I thought it was some bullshit, honestly. Why do you think that? Bring that weak-ass narration. I want first-person narration whenever possible in my literature. Okay, gotcha. So on a scale of one to five botched opening theme songs, how many... (laughs) botched opening theme songs would you give the black company by glenn cook i'd give the black company a solid three botched opening theme songs chad i i feel like overall the narrative had enough to keep me engaged but again the the style the the narration style overall didn't uh didn't thrill me but the characters kept me coming back for more especially the dominator (laughs) And that's been books, books that we, we haven't, haven't read. read. Yeah, long distance high five. <laughs> that was very interesting. Nice. Are you ready for predictions? I'm ready. All right. I have more predictions this time than I may have ever had. That is amazing news. I'll try to get through them quickly. All right. Shallan Shardblade doesn't bother Kaladin because it's an honor blade. Okay. Shallan kills her mother on purpose, but in self-defense. Okay. I just think it's too much to think that she did it maliciously after what she already did to her father. Like, yeah. The only other alternative would be some sort of weird cop out where, like, it's not really her memories, right? And I, and. That doesn't seem right. I'm not certain on this one. I've gone back and forth between saying that Odium is trapped inside of the bottom of the Shattered Plains. Seems to be where all the shittiness is emanating from. Mm -hmm. Or saying that Odium is trapped in a box in Lynn DeVar's bedroom. Mm. I'm going with Odium is trapped inside the bottom of the Shattered Plains on the basis of the letter, which we did not read this episode, but we'll read next next time. We'll read it next Next time. time. This one was kind of long. Yeah, this one went long. I think Shallan is going to pick up on the fact that Kaladin killed her brother. I kind of think she already knows. Mm -hmm. That's going to be my prediction. I, I think she... 
She may not have known in the conversation, but at this point, mm-hmm. she's going to put two and two together before they talk again. That's my prediction. I think race is one of the holders of the different shards that power the magic systems of the Cosmere. I think Teravangian mm-hmm. is going to have one more day of brilliance, this mm. extreme brilliance, and that's the day he's going to be killed. Mm. I think Venli knew about Stormform all along and tricked Eshenai into taking it. Mm. I also think that Tvange's diagram is a false prophecy, false in that I don't think it's legitimately going to unite people. I think mm-hmm. it's doing the opposite of what he intended it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think it was supplied externally to him. It's also very interesting that the diagram is strikingly similar to the golden path in Dune. Mm. But that's more of an observation than mm-hmm. a prediction. That's all that I have. Nice predictions. Do Quality have, podcast. Do you have anything else for us this evening? No. Whew. Where can they find us? They can find us on our website at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. They can find us on Twitter at the D and D Podcast. They can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. And they can find us on our Facebook group page at Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the D and D group. Now, seriously, if you are listening to this podcast, and you have not joined the Facebook group page. What are you doing? It's like shaving with a razor that's only got two blades. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You can also find us in person at Balticon on May 25th. That's right. You have plenty of time to get your tickets, get a carpool, head on down. To Balticon, we are going to be taping our 100th episode there live. We are going to be discussing our favorite tinfoil theories about the King Killer Chronicles. There will be special guests. Special guests. There will be special guests from other podcasts. We are that legit now, everyone. Other podcast hosts that you know and love. And when we get closer and we've confirmed everybody, we will pimp their podcast out too. But we need to make sure that our guest list is 100% solid before we start going down that road. We're hyped. We hope a lot of you can come. So much hype. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.